Okay, so today I want to talk about our threefold mandate, Yeshua, baptism, and the Torah. We've been talking about the fivefold ministries, how they equip us to do the work of the kingdom. These are the, the three-pronged mandate of the kingdom. The kingdom's all about the king. Yeshua is the king. Baptism is about a transference from one kingdom to another. The Torah is about the new way of life for those who have, who have just joined this new kingdom that they're a part of. So this is our threefold mandate for every believer. Believer, Yeshua first, baptism, and then the Torah as a way of life. So I'm going to break this down, unpack it for us today. I think you'll be excited about it. I might even have time for some questions and uh, a question and answer period. Um, if we do, we'll try to do that at the end of this uh, sermon. So Matthew 28, 16 through 20. These are some of the final words that Jesus spoke to his disciples post-resurrection, pre-ascension. So I want you to think in terms of some of his final words. What is he going to say before he ascends on high? He is leaving and he's going to ascend into heaven where he'll pick up the rule and reign of his father over all things seen and unseen in both the heavenlies and on earth. What is he going to say to those he's leaving behind, to all the generations that will come? What will he say to us before he ascends on high? Matthew 28, here it is. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, or verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He gave us his authority. He gave us the authority to do what he commissioned us to do. It's the highest authority in the universe. No greater authority than his authority. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And with all of that authority invested in him, he gives that to his disciples on earth. We are the recipients of that beautiful and powerful authority. It trumps governors. It trumps the Supreme Court. It trumps the House and the Senate. Our authority is even higher than that. It trumps supernatural beings like angels and demons. It even trumps the authority of the king of darkness, Satan himself. Every believer has more authority. They may not understand how to use that authority, but they have more authority than even Satan himself. Minister Don was at a women's conference and uh, they broke up and they were doing some ministry teams and uh, the worship leader who had, who had been a, a believer for many, many years, very talented, 
um, she, she was there to lead worship at this conference, and uh, yet she was really struggling, really having some issues going on, and no one really knew what was going on with her and behind the scenes, and she hadn't revealed to anyone. Uh, she's so talented that what happened is uh, quite a while before she ended up at our particular conference, she was kind of tapped by some pretty savvy uh, uh, business leaders in the arts. And they talked her into coming and doing some, some stuff in the world, in the secular realm of, of music. And she had some big conflicts with that. She didn't tell her church about that. She was kind of doing that behind the scenes. And uh, she, she was having some conflicts with the music they were wanting her to do, especially some, some of the uh, lyrics that she'd be singing, some of the songs that she'd be singing. And she was just trying to tell them, look, that's not me. It doesn't rep represent my values. In fact, I'm in conflict with it. They said, no, we understand that. So you need to take a new name. Just take a new name, kind of a new persona, if you will. And that'll be your stage name. And see, under that stage name, you can do all these things because it's not really you. It's that new persona. And that's kind of what Hollywood does. They've been doing it forever. You know, it's kind of an ancient uh, seduction, if you will, by, the, by, you know, really the dark side, if you will. And so she was naive enough to do that. And so she created this other pseudo name and persona and started doing this while she's still producing music in, in, in the Christian world. And, uh, and no one knew what was going on. Well, she ended up getting demonized. And so on her way to the conference, she's not doing well. She's really struggling. There's some inner battles and just some letting down of her own standards. And she'd been drinking on the flight. And so she's at this conference and she went up for prayer. And that's not a very safe thing to do when your life's kind of falling apart, especially as a believer. So she got into this group and this demon started manifesting. So the group leader goes over and says, to Minister Don, hey, we, we got an issue over here going on in, in our group, and it's above our pay grade, you know, so could you come help us? And so Don went over there and began to, to minister to her and interact with this uh, demonic thing that was rising up. And um, so Don just took authority right away, in the name of Jesus, just took authority and commanded the demon to reveal its name. And the demon spoke the name it was, the, it was the persona she took. It was the name of that persona that she was using that no one else knew. Yeah. And so Don ends up commanding the demon to come out in Jesus' name. And this lady leans forward, eyeball to eyeball with Don, leans forward and, and says to Minister Don, whispers to Minister Don, how'd you find me? Unbelievable. How'd you find me? The demon was intrigued that Minister Don somehow, you know, discovered the demon in her. And the demon was wanting to know, how'd you do that? Because, you know, demons are all about hiding out and staying low and influencing your life and then usurping at different times uh, who you are. And so the demon was trying to figure that out. And Don, of course, just commanded the demon to come out. Uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful deliverance. It took a period of time, and uh, she made a 100-degree turnaround. She quit that thing uh, that she was doing. Uh, she later uh, told us, uh, no one knew my name. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't, it was like just between me and no one else because I didn't want anyone to know, my church, my friends, what I was doing. So no one knew that name. And so she, too, was intrigued 
Because when this was happening, she was a little bit in a fog because that's what happens when demons kind of manifest. But uh, later when she found out that the demon's name was the name that she had chosen for her pseudo name, she was trying to figure out how did you find out that name? Because no one knows that name. So again, you know, this was the mystery of Christ, the ruler of all, calling this demon out and then delivering this, this daughter of his from its clutches, from its grip. And it was powerful in every way. And she went back to her home church and uh, told her pastor uh, what had happened. And uh, they all prayed for her. And she went right back into uh, producing music as a Christian uh, 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 worshiper and has done well ever since and so grateful ever since. Just powerful. And I'm thinking to myself now, how did Minister Don do that? How does anyone do that? How is it that any of us, these humble human beings, frail in our own human nature, somehow have more authority than these divine beings that are immortal, been around forever, that they respond to human beings? I mean, she just took control and that demon responded and, and, and did what it was commanded to do. The reason is because Yeshua, Jesus, has given every believer his authority. So when believers speak in his name at his leading, those demons respond because of the authority of Jesus Christ in and through them. That's everything. And Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. And then he commissions us. He commissions us to go and do his work. And what is that work? It's threefold. Number one, make disciples. Make disciples, right? Our job is to help people encounter Jesus as the Messiah. That's going to be slide 66. Yep. Help them encounter Jesus as the Messiah. Our job is to help people, people encounter Jesus. We're to bring people to Jesus. We need to have our antennas up all the time. We we need to be thinking people all around us and where their needs are and where they're at in relationship to Jesus and that we can bring them closer to him. We are are his representatives. He wants to use us. We just got to create an awareness of who we are and why we're here. Everything that we're, we're doing in this world is secondary to our primary call to lead people to Christ whether we're lawyers, doctors, teachers, dentists, construction workers, musicians, doesn't matter who we are. That's our platform, right? To make connections and help people know who Jesus is. I've had the privilege of helping my bosses when I was in the world, you know, for 20 years, I'm leading like my supervisors and bosses into encounters with Jesus I mean, I just love that. I had this one supervisor. We're at, you know, uh, I, I worked for a retail outlet. Uh, used to work for King Supers. And uh, so, you know, I'm with a, with a supervisor, and he's, we're just talking, and, and he's telling him about his, his marriage is messed up, his home life's messed up, and he doesn't know what to do. And, and I just said, you know, li- listen, G- Jesus loves you, and as complicated as everything is, you just need to know he loves you. He has a way for you. He has a way out for you. He's like, well, I don't understand. And da, 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 da. I said, well, you really need to just really bow your knee to Jesus and just admit that to him. Just admit to him that you really don't understand 
what all's going on, but you're at the end of your ropes and you just need him to take control and you need to just submit yourself to him. He goes, well, let's, we're, let's go upstairs and do that. And I said, we don't need to go upstairs and do that. He goes, what do you want me to do? I said, just let's get on our knees. He says, not in the store. He says, there's, there's customers here. I said, we're going to act like we're stalking. I said, let's move some cans around. So here we are on our knees in the aisle, moving cans around, and I'm leading him in a prayer to encounter Jesus in his situation. It was great. He's halfway through the prayer, and our manager comes. And he's kind of like between the manager and, and the front-end workers, you know. So right away, the manager says, what are you guys doing? And he, we both just jump up, you know. And he goes, oh, we're just, you know, we're facing, you know, that, you know bringing all the cans forward, you know. And, and he's looking at me. I'm looking at him, you know. The, guy, the manager says, get back to work. He knew something was going on. He wasn't quite sure, you know. But I had the privilege of just in my, in my own life, what I was doing, to be used by God day in and day out. Now, that didn't happen day in and day out, but, but I was able to have that opportunity, whether I was taking that opportunity or, or not, to really just be used by God every day wherever I was at. And that's what we're called to do, to be a witness for the Lord, to really think what is going on in those lives around me that God has put in my path and to try to listen to the voice of the Lord in that, be directed by him, and to just run with those uh, scenarios. So we're here to help people encounter the Lord. Everyone's hungry. Everyone's reaching out. Everyone wants liberty and, and the opportunity to, uh, to know what it means uh, to be loved and to be accepted by the Father. So, um, so just keep your antennas up. Number two. We're to help them turn from their sins and receive Messiah into their hearts. So as you're working with people and just helping them encounter the Lord at a given point in that relationship, they're probably going to move forward to a place where they're ready to receive him as their Lord and Savior. You can't just go and tell people, hey, have you accepted Jesus into your life? Just pray with me. Yeah, no, you got to actually kind of figure out where people are at in relationship to the Lord. And then just take them as far as the Lord is taking them that day. Jesus didn't just confront everyone in every scenario and then bring them into the kingdom. Many, many times he just touched their lives and moved on. They weren't ready for that at that time. So just be sensitive. Be kind to people around you. Be open to people around you. Just try to, try to help meet the needs of those around you and look for the opportunities to introduce the Messiah. And if they're open, take them as far as they're willing to go. And then let him go. It's okay. You're not the Savior. He is. It's okay. You just be a witness. Just be used by him. Relax. Don't make it awkward. Okay? You don't have to get spooky and, you know, and try to coerce something and make it happen. It'll happen all on its own. Just be used by God. Be led by the Spirit of God. And then... When you lead them to the Messiah, when you lead them to, to Christ, it's a simple prayer. We're going to teach those who don't really know how to lead their peers to the Lord. Really simple, just to help people. You lead them in a prayer that says, Lord Jesus, I, 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 I realize I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm alienated from you. My sins are ever before me. Forgive me of my sins. I accept your death as a payment for my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. 
That's it. It's a real simple prayer. You just have to think of the concepts involved, and you can lead anyone in that prayer. And it can be said a lot of different ways once you understand those concepts. And so you can just be led to do that. But when you lead someone to Christ and they get born again, your next step is to introduce them to the local church. Tell them, you know, now that you're born again, now that you're, you're, you're embraced by the Father, now that you're tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, I want to tell you, there's a bunch of people just like you. In fact, they're your brothers and sisters. They're waiting to meet you. You got to come and meet all these other believers who have done what you have done. They're a great network of support and help. They have resources. They'll love on you. Come meet your extended family and then bring them to church so they can meet the rest of the family. That's the first step in making a disciple, right? You introduce people to Christ. Ultimately, you lead them to Christ and then you bring them to church where they can get plugged into the community of faith. Then we can turn them into a disciple for the Messiah. So once we're at church, the next thing we're going to do is what? Number two. Baptize them. That's right. We're going to help them make their confession and allegiance to Jesus public. Baptism is a public declaration to the community that I have put my allegiance in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My loyalty is to him, the King of heaven. I now belong to him and to you as my brothers and sisters. That's a public confession of faith. That's super important to do that. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but let me give you this passage. Mark chapter 16. Jesus again, post-resurrection, pre-ascension says this. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who, who has believed and is baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Baptism is a huge deal. It's a gateway into the community of faith. It's a proclamation of what has already been done. It's where you take your private encounter with Jesus and make it public. Baptism is the number one most significant act of spiritual warfare that anyone can accomplish. That's the big one. That's where you stand up in the presence of others and in the presence of heaven, both angels and demons. Two kingdoms, two systems of government, one Satan, the other one Jesus in the kingdom of light, right? And you're proclaiming in their hearing, both in heaven and on earth, my allegiance is to King Jesus. I belong to his kingdom. I identify with his life, his death, and his resurrection. I'm going to further and advance his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That is an act of spiritual warfare because you're switching your allegiance from Satan to God. You're, you're part of one or the other. There's no, there's no middle kingdom. There's no neutral kingdom. You're born into the kingdom of, of death, the realm of death. You're born under sin and condemnation. In Jesus, you're lifted out of that and transferred to the kingdom of light. 
Your baptism is your public declaration of your allegiance to Jesus. You're cutting ties with the enemy. Now that is going to fire up the enemy like no one's business, right? Going to fire the enemy up like no one's business. But all of heaven's going to stand there and tell them, stand down, touch not the anointed of the Lord. And you're going to have heaven and your community on your side as you join them in going forward to advance the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that exciting? That is so exciting. All right. So it represents your transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Colossians chapter 1, 13 through 14 says this. For he, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. God has rescued us. We were in danger. Where? In the domain of darkness. The word domain expresses the concept of authority, dominion, rule and reign. It says that God rescued us from the rule and reign of the tyrant, Satan. He came and rescued and delivered us from him and his dominion. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He transferred us to what? The kingdom. The word kingdom, again, is a dominion term. It expresses rule and reign, authority, borders, if you will. We went from one kingdom under the rule and reign of a tyrant to the kingdom of God's dear son, a kingdom of light, a kingdom rule that's compassionate, merciful, and full of grace, transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. This is the big issue. See, everything in life is really insignificant in the scope of eternity. Because your life you live is here and gone. It's like a vapor. Don and I are looking at our grandkids thinking, where did time go? My baby girl's getting married. I'm thinking, what happened to all the years, man? They just flew by and they're gone. And I'm thinking, man, I feel so young. But every time I see myself in the mirror, I'm thinking, old man, you sleeping with my woman? Thinking, where the years go? I feel so old, right? Or I feel young, but I look so old. Well, that's what life is. It's here today, gone tomorrow. But for the believer, it never ends. It goes on and on and on. So helping people get born again so they can live forever, that transcends every other purpose or meaning of life. It's more important than anything else in life. Getting people born again is the essential meaning of life. That's why we are here on earth. God is using us to redeem people because the world's coming to an end. A new phase, an eternal phase is going to take place. And God is, is, is if you will, he is the divine invader through his son who is coming and he is plundering hell. He's plundering the kingdom of Satan. And he's taking people and redeeming them out. Getting them ready for the eternal age. That's why we're here. 
to share with people who Jesus is. Now, this baptism, it's a ceremony and it's a celebration. We want to get people born again, bring them to church, get them baptized. So, you know, that's what we do. And after they get baptized, well, I'll tell you what, throw a big party for them. See, if you're, if you're part of a group that has brought someone in, got born again, got baptized, the day they get baptized, throw a party. Throw a celebration. Invite some from the community and just help those newbies feel connected and loved. We're excited. I tell you what, one of the most exciting things that I do are baptisms. Now, we're going to have a couple baptisms this next month. We're so excited about that. Um, but we have two baptisms coming up. I think past, our elder Randy's going to um, lead them this next week, actually. So we'll do that right in our service. But sometimes I get to go up there when either elder or when both elders are not able to do it that week. Sometimes I get tapped. And I'll tell you, I love it. I live for it. Put me in the tank. Get me in the water. It, it is such an incredible experience and celebration. Uh, but next week, we're going to participate with uh, a couple in our community, two, two different people in our community that will uh, make that public confession of faith, that allegiance to Yeshua next week. All right, it's going to be a big week. I'm excited. Then the final thing we do with those newbies is we begin to teach them the Torah. We teach them the Torah the laws of God, the ways of God. See, every king has a kingdom. Every king has authority. He has the ability to rule and reign over a dominion. And every king also has a law by which he governs his people. Our God has a law. It's called the law of God. Another word is the Torah which simply means instructions. God has given us instructions to those whom he has redeemed. He says, this is the way that you're going to live life now. You're no longer part of this kingdom. You're part of my kingdom. My kingdom has different values, different ways of living, different ways of understanding things. In every realm of life, in every sphere of human experience, I have a different way of doing it than what you were doing. So our job now is to teach those newbies how to step into the fullness of the Torah as a way of life for the redeemed. The Torah doesn't save anyone. It wasn't given to save anyone. It was, a, it was given partly to help us to understand that we need a Savior and to lead us to the Savior. And then once we come to the Savior, we're now equipped, having it written on our heart and the Holy Spirit in us, to begin to walk it out for the first time so we can experience the blessings of the new way of life because we are a new person in Messiah. So we teach them Torah. It represents the ancient paths. God spoke through Jeremiah and said, return to the ancient ways wherein lies the blessing. That's where the blessing is. The ways of the world, they have a sizzle. It's short, it's fun, but in the end it brings misery and death. In the end... You're wishing you'd never stepped into it. God's ways, they're a little bit unassuming, but they bring the blessing and they sustain that peace and that joy that we have in Messiah. 
Okay. So let's look at some strategies of how to do this mandate. Number one, we need to cultivate the presence of God in our lives every day. Every day. We're called, and the Torah explains this, we're called to start our day before the Father, to meet with Him before we do anything else. We are priests. We get our assignment from God every day. We connect with Him. We pray to Him. We get our bearings, get our antennas up, and that's how we start the day. And we say, Father, I'm a priest. You made me a priest in Yeshua. Give me some divine appointments today. A divine appointment is an encounter with someone that has a particular need that you can be a part of meeting, okay? So whatever that is, might be an act of kindness, a word, an embrace, whatever, something that helps that person where they're at in their life, that moves them a little bit closer to the Lord that day. You know, I, 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 was, at, I was at American Furniture Warehouse, favorite, favorite place to shop. I did not get paid for that. Okay. So I'm waiting to get into to the massage chair. That's one of the reasons I go there. They have like these, you know, $3,000 massage chairs, you know? So this guy's like in the best one. They get like different ones. He's like in the best one. So I got to wait. I'm waiting. I thought, man, it's, it's like I got to. So we went and shopped a little bit. I came back to get in the chair. He was gone. And there's his cell phone, a, a new Mini 12 uh, iPhone. Very expensive phones. If you know phones, that's a very expensive phone. Saw that iPhone. I said, divine appointment. Divine appointment. I grabbed that iPhone, you know, and so I was trying to see if there's any, any way I could uh, get a number where I could, you know, get some information. Of course, you can't, there's no way. NSA can't even get into those until Apple joined them. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> so I took it up to the desk. I told the person at the desk, I said, um, Found this iPhone. I just want to make sure it gets in the right hands because I'm sure this person's going to come looking for it. They said, thank you very much. So I went back to get in my chair. I saw this guy walking and I thought to myself, I was saying on my way back, I was saying, Lord, help, help me find the guy who this phone belongs to. So I'm walking, I'm seeing several different people and I'm thinking, is that him? Is that him? Is that him? You know, all of a sudden this guy's walking. I thought, I think that's him. I think that's him. I just since the Lord said, well, go ask him. So I went over to him. I said, excuse me. I said, did you lose an iPhone? He goes, my mini, where's my mini? You find my mini? He was all like, you know, flustered. I said, yeah, come, come with me. So we went down, I got him his phone. He said, thank you very much. And then he started talking to the person who he had to give the number to and have the phone ring and verify it. So I just walked off. I thought, well, that's it. That's okay. That's it. You know? So he came, he found me a letter. He says, hey, I want to thank you again for finding the phone. And I said, sure. And then he just walked off. He, he was just real abrupt. And I, I thought, man, is there something there? And there was nothing there, nothing there. So I said to myself, you know what? That was not very much, that didn't feel very, very much like a very productive divine appointment. But then again, I thought to myself, you know what? Sometimes it's much more than that. Sometimes it's much less than that. We don't get to determine that. He does. All we got to do is even if it's just an act of kindness, that's not associated with some type of like, get on your knees and believe in Jesus moment. That's okay. That's a movement in the right direction. That's an act of kindness that's going to have its own fruit in the future. So I want to say every day, just look around, meet the needs around you. And if the Lord opens up the door for, for that to go somewhere, run with it for as far as he's going to let that 
thing go and uh, and enjoy the journey enjoy the journey it's going to take a whole bunch of people interacting with one person to bring them to christ and then take them to the next place of, of community baptism and then finally out doing the same thing that we're doing okay i've said this before going to say it again relationship evangelism that's what we're going to do 95 percent of everyone who comes to the messiah does so through an acquaintance or friend Everyone comes through a friend. Well, 95%. So we're not going to do things that focus on the 5%. Okay? We're not good at that. That's not what we're going to do. That only yields 5% anyway. We're going to focus on 95%. That's a pretty effective rate of response. So what is this 95%? It's all about relationship evangelism. It's about reaching out to people in your life your circle of influence, your family, your friends, your acquaintances, where you work, where you go to school, where you play, those relationships you already have, that's your mission field, your personal mission field. I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures. This one comes from uh, John, and this is John the Baptist, and John's going to take some of his acquaintances and he's going to point them to Yeshua. He's going to introduce them to Yeshua. This is how it works. John chapter 1, 35 through 46. And the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, earlier, he took all his disciples, and he pointed at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's telling his disciples, that's him. He's going to pass them off to Jesus. That's our job. Take our acquaintances, introduce and pass them off to Jesus. The next day, he's with two of his disciples, and he says to them, there he is. The two disciples heard him, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Who's Simon Peter? Peter the apostle. Before Peter is an apostle. Peter doesn't even know who Jesus is. It's Andrew who encounters the Messiah. And so what does Andrew do here? On day two, he wastes no time. He wastes no time, right? So what does he do? It says, Andrew brings his brother Simon to Messiah. This is chapter 1, verse 41 through 42. It says, he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. John says, there he is. They follow Jesus. The next day, Andrew, who's following Jesus for only 24 hours, can't even wait. He goes and finds his brother, Peter, and says, Peter, we found the Messiah. He's already evangelizing. I don't even know if Andrew's even born again yet. But he knows who Jesus is, at least he thinks he does. And he's already gathering people in his circle of influence and telling them about what he discovered. 
He goes to his own family member, Peter, his brother. He says, Peter, you got to come. you got to encounter Jesus. He's the Messiah. Verse 43, the next day he uh, purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda of the city of Andrew and Peter. Verses 45 and 46. Philip found Nathanael. Who's Nathanael? You know, it, it doesn't tell us much here, but what you're going to see over and over and over is that everyone's tapping their closest inner circle. That's who they're starting with. This is how this works. This is why 95% of everyone who comes to Messiah comes through a friend, because that's how God designed it. So he has some kind of connection with Nathaniel, Nathaniel who is part of his life. And he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, I don't know, come and see. Isn't that beautiful? People introducing their friends to what they discovered in Jesus. Simple, natural, right? There's nothing awkward about this. This is just about, you know, being, being, you know, a friend and being relational with those around you. Everyone has a circle of influence. Brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, right? A family. Everyone has friends. And outside of those friends, everyone has, has acquaintances in addition to that. Maybe, maybe it's some person that serves you at, the, at your favorite restaurant, you know, that you have some type of relationship with. You never know what God's going to do when you begin to pray for divine appointments and say, God, use me to reach those that I've already have relationship with. I don't know about you. Anyone ever do street evangelism where you just go out and talk to perfect strangers? Yeah, I've done that. Awkward. Oh my gosh. They're all, they're feeling like, what are you doing? You don't even know me. And I'm thinking, yeah, what am I doing? I don't even know you. It's, it's, you know, it's just, I don't know. For, now some people are called to that and some people do that very well. And those other 5%, yeah, very important too. So I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying it's not my particular proclivity, if you will. Okay. So let's get back to this whole idea of working our circle of influence. John 4, 46 through 54. Therefore, he came again into Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. They said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Verse 53, so the father knew it was at the hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. So, so Jesus said, your son lives. He's making his way back. This is almost a day later. The sla- his servants come and say, your son's getting better. He's going to live. He says, when did that all start happening? When they told him the hour, he's thinking, that's when Jesus told me he was going to get better. Look what happens. It says, he himself believed. 
and his whole household. How, who, who's that? Those servants that brought him the news. His wife, if he had other kids, right? Whoever is part of his household, who's there in his little network that we would call a household, they're listening and they all put their faith in Jesus too, not just the man. The household gets saved. That's amazing when you think about it. Mark chapter 2, 14 and 15. Jesus passes by. He sees uh, Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed Jesus. Verse 15. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house. You catch the transition? Levi, come and follow me. Levi comes to follow him. Now, a period of time takes place. We don't know how long. But the next event is he's in Levi's home. And what's he doing? He's reclining. He's probably sipping on some wine from David's vineyard, right? And he's reclining in his house with Levi's friends. Who's Levi's friends? Other tax collectors which were, by the way, in Israel, social outcasts, and a variety of other sinners. And they're dining with Jesus. They're eating a meal together. And his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. Jesus with Levi is now touching Levi's friends eating with them, drinking with them. He's later uh, going to be accused of being a glutton and a wine-bibber by the religious community. What is Jesus doing? He came to save the lost. He's interacting with the lost. That's what we're supposed to do, to bring our lost friends into community with Jesus. We see this over and over and over through the book of Acts. I could give you many examples. Cornelius, his whole family and friends all get saved in one big event. Lydia, her family and friends. Paul, he's in jail. The thing opens up. The jailer's going to commit suicide because he knows the, his leaders will kill him anyway because the prisoners got away. He's going to take the quick, painless way out as much as he can. Paul says, don't do that. We're still alive. We're still here. You're not going to lose your life but I want to share something with you about what just happened. Ends up sharing the gospel, the jailer, his entire family and friends all come to faith as well, over and over and over. So this is uh, where this all finds application. You have your own households. You have your personal mission field. It's your family, it's your friends. I want you to go home today and write down their names. Write down the names of, of, everyone has about 8 to 15 people that are in that close, what we would call a front row seat in your life. I want you to write down their names and then begin to pray for them every day. Assess where they are. Are they lost? Make three columns. The lost, they don't know the Lord. Or they're saved, but they're backslidden. Put them in that column. Or 
they're saved, but they're not going anywhere. You know, they're, they're genuinely saved. They love the Lord, but they're just not plugged in anywhere. Put them in the unplugged category, right? And begin to pray for them and ask God to help you help them take the next step in their journey with God. He put them in your path for a reason. They're in your life for a reason. That's your mission field. So be kind, look for opportunities, and just let the light of God shine through you to them. And journal the high points of what God is doing in and through you in their lives. So in reaching out to our personal mission field, there's a lot of different ways to do that. I'm going to bring up just one right now. We'll talk about this in the weeks ahead. Using the Arab and Motsi Shabbat as a strategy to make disciples. Friday evening or Saturday evening, right? The evening before Shabbat or the evening after Shabbat. These are the best nights of the week for us to reach out and share a meal, invite those people on our lists to come to a meal where we just schmooze, right? Drink a little wine, eat some food, just see what God's doing. I really feel bad because I know people that may be alienated may be listening to this program and no one likes to feel like they're the guinea pig. But I want to tell you right now, invite your friends that don't know the Lord. They'll never know what's going on. They don't know what your agenda is, that you want to introduce them to the love of God, right? Is that so bad? Is that, is that like a, 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 you know, a secret agenda? No, I think that's a good, a good secret agenda. But here's the deal. Just love on them and see what God's going to do. Have a meal, drink some wine, and then invite them again and again. And as they connect and open up, you'll be able to lead them to the Lord. And so these are opportunities that we're all going to have. And I'm going to encourage you to think through using uh, these evenings to do that. People love to share meals. We see this over and over. This is how Jesus was uh, introducing himself and how other people introduced him to others in small home settings around meals. Relationships are birthed. Relationships are strengthened and sustained through these small groups. And people come to faith through their friends in groups like these. So we're going we're gonna to break all this down for you. And uh, we've got a lot of different resources that we're going to give you. We'll start that hopefully next week. And uh, then we're going to ask you to sign up and commit to those who want to, that want to do this. There's a lot of different ways to do a lot of different things. This is just one of the things we're going to be doing. But we're going to ask you to sign up and commit to doing twice a month a dinner in your home with your friends. Get some wine, get some food, have a party. I think you'll love it. And I know opening your house is a little bit of work because you got to clean it up before everyone comes. You got to host, got to help people leave. You got to clean it up. So we'll say, do it one week, take the next week off. Following week, do it again. That's twice a month, twice a month. I believe we as a community, as we begin to do things like this, we are going to bring people to faith and into a relationship with us so that we can go out and get even more for the glory of Jesus. And we're going to have fun doing it. Doing an Aref Shabbat or a Havdalah, a Saturday, Friday night deal. We'll show you how to do it. You're going to love, they're going to love it. It's a slow pitch. It's a slow pitch. I, I love it. I've had people over 
They don't even know it's coming, but we have our food, we drink, we just let our hair down. And then I say, hey, we're gonna do some dessert. So we get the dessert out. And then I pull my two candles out. I turn off down all the lights and then we light some candles, right? And we're just saying, you know, we just create this environment. We say, you know what? As we eat our desserts, let's just, uh, let's just share a Thanksgiving that we have in our lives. You know, if they're, if they're just people that are really disconnected, uh, you, don't, you don't even have to use the word God. What are you thankful for? But if they're believers and they're just unplugged, you can just talk about, hey, what are you thankful for in terms of what Jesus is doing in your life? But you just do what you need to do to make that evening an evening that has a capstone of an encounter with, with the Lord in Thanksgiving. I just love it. So I'm going to let everyone go. We're finished for today. Shabbat Shalom. I'll get you some resources by next week. We're going to have a baptism. And then we're, we're going to talk about um, doing some things on purpose for our summer outreach in reaching our friends for the Lord. Come on up and please stand for the Aaronic Benediction.